Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Well, you know, like when the eggs rot a little bit and get discolored in the water, a dead egg, I'm like, get out of here with that shit, a dead <laughs> egg. <laughs> Kidding me? It's a pellet fly. If you have 56 stripers on hand, why are you eating a possum? Anglers could get at least three lures out of one straw. And, I mean, straws are essentially free, right? Like you can walk into a McDonald's and be like, get a straw, right? Jeez, Joe. What? Be decent. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that's been standing on this rock since 4 a.m. so it can show off its fishing prowess by beating up on a bunch of fresh pellet heads. I'm Joe Cermelli. And I'm Hayden Samak. Uh, you got to love that 40-year-old guy, like, just gunning sticks and, like, <laughs> or, oh, I don't think people are going to know what that means. <laughs> Smoking cigs, burning heaters. I knew what you meant, yeah, and I okay, know that okay, guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, just issuing a good old-fashioned stalker beatdown in front of, like, dozens of, like, father and son teams trying to have a bonding moment to put a couple on the stringer. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, man. Like, And look, and teach their own, right? If that's how you guys, that's, I grew up in that scene. Right, yeah. I know that guy well, and sometimes yeah. it just feels good to rattle a chain stringer. Hey, and like, you know what? Just... And you know what? Sometimes that guy will bring you up onto his rock if you're a little kid, and he'll show you how to thread a mealworm, and he'll let you just wail on the stockers for. Yeah, a he'll while. give you he'll give you a Marlboro, light it up. <laughs> uh, anyway, so look, I I, uh, I I know that that nowadays at least you're all about those native cutties and graylings and all that other cool shit you guys got going on out there. But I also know that you've got a a, a soft spot for, for opening day stocky bashing because you're from out here. You can't lie to me. I, I know that's nah, part nah, of who right. you are as an angler. You're right. You're right. You're right. So then I got to ask you, man, when was the last time you actually did the whole opening <laughs> day thing? All right. Uh, confession uh, time. It, it, it wasn't – I don't think it was opening day, but – okay, okay. so back in the 2020, right, when everything mm-hmm. was – real weird 
Um, yes. And they were doing all that kind of dis- – I don't know if they did this in, like, Jersey or whatever, but at least in Pennsylvania, they did these, like, discreet stocking hits. Like, PA wasn't yeah. putting out a schedule. They were just like, yeah. the season is opened. We're going to be stocking things quietly so we don't have a ton of people converging on, like, this one yeah. body of water. Anyway. They were trying to stem the, the tide of Rona at the time. They didn't want you yep. to get it on the stalker stream. Yeah. 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 Um, so I was holed up in that cabin in the Poconos as I've talked about before. And there was this one trout stream that I'd done an opening day thing on way, 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 way back with like my dad and my brother and my uncle, and my cousins. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, on the opener or, or, or I guess just after it probably realistically it's probably a little bit after it, but I hit this stream. I looked down from the bridge and it, is loaded just mm-hmm. totally totally loaded and what do you think the first thing uh that i notice is oh a big old palomino big old golden a right? big old golden yeah man <laughs> that's what they're good for you see one it's like well if he's there there's 80 more right underneath yep. him yep yeah now okay so two things about me one I've never been the lucky little boy to catch a golden trout on opening day. Never have I been the belle of that ball. <laughs> um, another thing about me, despite being a 30-year-old man, sometimes I act like a child. And yes. for whatever reason, I saw that fish and I was like, you're f- mine. Because that's what you think when you see one. It doesn't matter. It's like you have to catch it. Oh, You have dude, to catch it. It's so obnoxious. Anyway, uh, so I, I went down there. I drifted a pheasant tail right in front of that fish, bam, first cast. You you would have thought I caught a wild steelhead. I was mm-hmm. embarrassingly excited, uh, particularly coupled with the fact that I had the stream all to myself. It was this weird thing <laughs> where they had effectively recreated the experience that we all go after when we're like fishing stalkers, that being a wild trout stream with plentiful fish, except they had this one just ridiculous uh like mutant trout at the end of my line. Anyway, I was so unbelievably stoked. I I did an evil laugh and I think I sent it to you, but I even bought the fish home like the greasy, dirty, stocky basher I am. I had my then girlfriend take a picture. Um, It's me in uh, in a Sims onesie holding that fish in a kitchen and it's horrible, but it's also one of my favorite pictures. I'm pretty sure I sent that to you and Miles. I no, yeah, I I remember uh, I used it without your permission, thanking oh. you for helping us with our theme music uh, m- a long time ago, and you were upset, you were mad. Anyway, I can <laughs> I, I can not, back. Shut up, man! I, was, I, I can. You were mad. I was I not can, mad. Listeners, you were hurt. I w- no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can back up what you're saying though, because not that long ago I was on a float on a river, loaded with wild brown trout. That is what I was there for. Yeah. And we came across this giant, dumpy, like 26 inch palomino. It's golden. all curling up Hol- on Yeah, like yeah. holding there in this seam. And like I wasted 40 minutes of a perfectly good <laughs> wild brown trout float because I'm like, we're catching this thing, man. We're catching it. And it's funny you said it ate right away. There's a, there's a golden secret for all you guys out there. I have found that you either get him on the it's, first yeah, cast yeah. or he's done. That yep. you, it's it's one and done because I think they're just more wary. They know they can be seen. So. Oh, I think they just get harassed into oblivion, man. I remember man, when I first caught that trout. I sent a picture to my dad and I said, "Man, it has got to be tough being a golden trout." <laughs> yeah, dude, you're just okay, bombarded. So 
Yeah, so so that's my embarrassing uh, man-child opening day story. Now, you have young kids, and I'd imagine a way less, like, I don't know. Um, whereas I'm being childish, I imagine you have an opening day story more uh, appropriately childish, like childlike <laughs> wonder. Well, perhaps. to be honest, I, I've 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 yet to take my kids out on opening no, day. Really? I have I I have not huh. done an opening day, God, since maybe I was in I was in college. I kind of got over that. Like I didn't I, but I I don't take my kids on opening day because a they're they're too little I, at this point to appreciate it. But also like why take them out in the middle of the shit show, right? Yeah. So I usually wait a week or two before I take my kids trout fishing. Um, I'll, I'll try to tell this one quickly, but the dads out there will understand this. Last last um, last spring, I, I took my daughter out, and we got into some trout. We had the stream all to ourselves, and she was she was doing great catching these rainbows. And I'm sliding each one on a stringer. Well, uh, at some point, I like went to go catch one myself and left her just playing with the stringer, right? Mm. And I remember this very <laughs> this very same thing happening to me when I was little. She she comes over and we're talking and not and I look turn around and I'm like, where's the stringer? And she's like, oh, I thought I stuck it in the dirt deep enough. And I was like, well, like first of all, like I care about these stalkers, like I care about eating them. I'm like, well, there goes all our trout. I don't and like it was in the middle of this deep hole in this in this raging spring water, and I was I was so bummed because then she was so bummed because we were going right. to eat those, and then. I noticed like the tip of the stringer literally clinging to the edge of a lay down nice. in like water over my head. And like my little six-year-old daughter is like handing me sticks and I'm like trying not to go in above my waders and shit. And damn it, I got it. I saved yeah. the day. I saved the day. Yeah, they were, cool. yeah, yeah. They said A little part of me was like, if we don't get them, then I don't have to eat those. But uh, <laughs> we did and we cooked them and she enjoyed it. So it was good. Yeah. Well, I mean, like that's... It's kind of funny, like the arc that you go through with opening day. When when you're a kid, you just want to participate. Then when you get a little bit older and you kind of recognize what's going on, you kind of want to get like secluded and you really just, it's just your first crack yeah. of fish and you've been waiting for it. Then you get to the point where you're like, dude, I'm not messing with opening day. I, I just like don't want to do this at all. And then you get to the point where you're like, I want to see that shit show. I want to see a little yeah, blood. Yeah, see, I'm not ready for the shit show, but my kids have made me fall in love with trout fisheries I gave up on years ago. Places I loved when I was little that I'm like, yeah, mm. I'm over that joint. All of a sudden, you see them with new eyes, and it's been yeah. really fun, you know? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. That's infinitely more charming than my story. Anyway, one of the cool things about fishing for stalkers is that, like, you have license to do all the things many of you don't admit you do when you're targeting wild trout, i.e. Uh, bombarding the same hole for hours with inline spinners. <laughs> and Joe and I have both talked about like our favorite inline spinners on Ben. You know, I, you, yours was a MEPS, right? Or a Panther, Panther Martin. Martin. Panther, Panther Martin. Martin. Mine yeah. was a Swiss Wing. But today on our Maker segment, we're going to learn about uh, a handcrafted inline or some handcrafted inlines, uh, pardon the pun, with a twist. Today we're doing our tool time salute. <laughs> so joining us for makers today kind of tied into our our little opening uh opening day theme um you know as we mentioned opening day trout wherever you fish for trout inline spinners right everybody loves a good inline spinner and it, it just so happened that uh we have a, a listener a fan evan moso 
who now I have not Evan welcome first of all it's great to have you here um and I have not used your products yet but I think if you look at lure making in general these days a lot of people are doing hand poured uh soft plastics and swim baits and things like that yet you are Spinex Designs. You are going all in on, on custom inlines. That's one of the big things that you do. Um, so I'm, I'm just so everybody knows, man, you're from the Pacific Northwest, correct? That's right. Yeah, small little town in Oregon. Okay. So, like, what's home water for you, man? Like, what did you grow up doing out there? I imagine the salmon and steel game. Yeah, so, like, growing up, I didn't do a lot of salmon and steelhead fishing because I just didn't have too much family that did that in my area. But mm-hmm. I did a lot of uh, trout fishing on my own. I could get out and do that. And I just got really hooked on trout fishing. That's like what I, uh, that's what's in my heart. I love to fish for sea run rainbow trout, especially. And so, because oh. uh, we get a big uh, return of those, you know, not big, big by any means these days, but we still get a good wave of those coming up when sometimes when the salmon come up and sometimes when the steelhead come up. And those fish, they uh, are very aggressive and they hit a spinner very hard. No, dude, that's fat. Now, I don't know. Hayden, do you know anything about that? Like, I know I, I've heard of sea run cutties out there, right? Like in the sound, but the sea run. So these are smaller sea run rainbows? Yeah, well, I mean, sorry, I, I, sorry. They may be. Sorry, I misspoke. They are cutthroat trout. My bad. Okay, there we are. We are back. I was uh, messed up there a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's totally fine, man, because I, I've actually always wanted to do that. I've seen a lot of videos of guys fly casting and stuff, waiting in uh, in the sound there. Um, so that's cool, man. So how long have you been making, how long have you been in the custom tackle game? Well, I started out about two and a half years ago. I did it for a year um, for my own. I just wanted to make some new spinners up because the spinners that I had before, they wouldn't get out uh, for a good cast and they wouldn't sink to the strike zone quickly enough for my liking. So I wanted to do a little bit of tinkering and I've always liked to tinker on things. And I just fell in love with uh, making some spinners, especially I'm a spinner guy at heart. Like I said, and I just love to get that straight connection with the fish because they just dump your raw tip over, and it's just like an awesome <laughs> fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, well, along along those lines, I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about elsewhere in this podcast is that, um, you know, a lot of guys associate inline spinners with sort of that small stream trout deal. Um, but you say you're a spinner guy. Therefore, you know, uh, as I know, that, you know, bigger inlines will catch bigger fish. I just think it's it's hard for some guys to – adopt that necessarily as like a big fish lure but you i'm sure see that differently obviously you you've leaned on them pretty hard agreed yeah so it's all about the fisherman that you make it for because like everyone's different joe and uh so if you're fishing for like salmon on the sayus law because that's what i fish for a lot or um on the sayus law especially because that's in my home area that's closest river for me i like to fish for salmon especially with like a half ounce to a three quarters ounce spinner because it's going to get deeper in the strike zone quicker and normally that time of the year the river will be up a little bit more so you're going to want to get where the fish are at right Mm -hmm. so uh you're going to want a little bit bigger presentation and sometimes the bigger presentation will scare away the smaller fish and you'll only be fishing for bigger fish so that's a good plus Mm -hmm. side right so when, when you make these like heavier spinners are you like messing around with like different alloys like correct me if i'm wrong joe but like a lot of the traditional spinners are made of brass yeah Brass or like Panther Martins or, or lead bodies. It, yeah, it you, do you ever mess around with like tungsten or anything like that? Well, I ha- I'm just getting into this new workshop. I actually just expanded and I actually rented a quite a bigger shop than what I had before, which is good. And I have a whole lead pouring station set up to where I could start pouring lead. 
but there is other metals like uh, tungsten and bithsmith and a, few, and a few other metals that I could start playing with with uh, spinner bodies. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you, I, spinners tend to be regional, right? Like I grew up, the, everybody out here is a Swiss swing or a Panther Martin mm-hmm. guy. Vibrax, I mean, that's that's a West Coast deal. Like Vibrax started out there, right? Is that like the spinner you you leaned on as a kid? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's the one I used a lot, along with the rooster tail too, because the rooster tail seemed to have the weight to get on the cast and sink, mm. but uh, the Vibrax had a lot more action, and I like the blade just turns a lot different. So I kind of tried to make a culmination of those two spinners together. Sure, sure, and uh, try to have a good version of that. Well, it's funny you say that about the Vibrax because I always look at that like I'll have a few of those for bigger water when I need to get down more. They're always the heavy spinner. Like that's never been my choice for like pocket water trout fishing. Mm-mm. But I always assume that that came from that, you know, Northwest and Alaska idea of, of having to cover big water for bigger fish. And I see like a lot of those elements in what you're making, like looking at your lures – I mean, you make some pretty heavy-duty stuff with some some pretty different variants. Like, I see a lot of bodies with, uh, like, a hoochie, like a hoochie squid over them. Yeah. Um, you know, like, what's sort of the fun and the experimentation? Like, what are what are some of the things that you're trying to do different to create maybe presentations that you can't get out of a big-box spinner? Well, there's a lot of uh, differences that in my spinners compared to, like, uh, different spinner makers or just gear makers in general. I try to uh, get a lot of feedback from anglers like you and Hayden just to see what you guys like a little different on your spinners. And then I get a common agreement of that. And then I'll put that on a spinner design and I'll put that to a few friends and they'll do some testing. And from there, we'll kind of modify it if it needs any. I just really like to use spinners. That's what I do mainly. I do other things with uh, fishing methods, but primarily I uh, like to give a different presentation with the hoochie because salmon, they really react a lot better with something with an eyeball on it, like a little white with some black on there. Mm. That it Interesting. Gets, it gets their instincts kind of like, oh, what's this? The predatory instincts. And if it's on their lateral line, it has a good chance of catching a fish for you. Yeah. Well, some honest American R&D right there, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Say, it's interesting what you're saying because a lot of people, I think when you're looking at smaller spinners, um, you know, I, I feel the same way about some streamers. It's like, okay, I threw this gold Panther Martin and the fish ate it. Would it have also eaten the silver one with the orange tail? Did it really matter? But then I look at a lot of your work, and there's so much detail with eyes and different tones and and different um, like prism tape and things like that. Uh, so clearly, you've noticed that 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 does make a difference. It's not just about vibration in the right place at the right time. All those little nuances do matter. Yeah, correct. I was just talking with a, a friend of mine that he lives up in Alaska and he fishes for a lot of grayling. I was just talking to him yesterday. And he said he uh, threw everything in his tackle box at these fish, and they wouldn't bite. But he uh, had a uh, some thread and a little fly tying hook, and he kind of tied up a black nymph, and he uh, casted it out there, and he was hooking the fish. But he was using all these other different spinners and jigs, so it's it's really what the fish are targeting at that moment. Hmm. So well, let me ask you about another element of your design that I've noticed. Um, you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of spinners with single hooks, and you have a lot of sin- uh, spinners with treble hooks. Uh, as far as that single hook design, is that just to be like compliant with regulations out there, or like do you see any advantage between like you know a, a single hook in relation to a treble hook, or vice yeah. versa? 
So with that, definitely. So it's all about the fishermen uh, in two points of that aspect. If they are fishing for food, they'll normally want a treble hook because it'll get a good grasp on the fish. Mm -hmm. And a single hook, they'll definitely let you, you could bounce your spinner a little bit more off the bottom without getting it hung up because you only have one point of contact, like a siwash hook. And uh, that's that's really good, too, because the siwash hook will get them right in the corner of the mouth. The treble hook, it could be a little more fatal if you're fishing a wild-only stream. You don't really want to do that. You're going to be fishing barbless single hooks. But treble hooks, they really go good for if you're trying to catch some fish to eat. But single hooks, I've, I use them a lot just for regulation compliance because some areas in Michigan, you could only have, like, uh, don't quote me exactly, but like an eighth inch or three-quarters inch from the shaft of the hook right. over to the tip. So there's definitely a whole bunch of uh, areas of that aspect. I need to make sure the customer has the right hook so they don't get in trouble. There, there's a, there's something else to be said for that too. I mean, compliance aside, if you sort of look at um, people have asked me before, like, oh, you know, uh, how come they don't use treble hooks on trolling lures? Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that make more sense? And if you look at similar things like the tuna popping game, most guys you'll see they take those big heavy trebles off and put on two singles because there's some argument to the idea that one heavier gauge hook planted really well, uh, you know, is also a, a stronger connection than one of three small mm -hmm. trebles stuck somewhere in the fish. So I actually do know some guys that will even make the effort to change out their rooster tails and panthers, small stuff for small streams, um, some of it for you know conservation because they're releasing the fish. But also there there is a case for one hook planted well is is stronger than you know a kind of a half-assed planted treble. Oh, I've yeah. definitely heard that before because uh, I've also heard that since you, if you had a big treble hook on the end of the lure and you're hooked up on a nice steelhead and it's thrashing around, actually the weight of the lure can push back and dislodge the treble hook. That's sure. why a single hook's good because it'll normally go through the, their gill plate right on their mouth, near their mouth. Right. And it's funny, man. Like, you know, if you want to say like treble hooks are like more like – a lot of folks use treble hooks on their spinners and, you know, I mean, crankbaits and everything because it's like, oh, you got a better chance of like a hookup. But there is just something that looks so much fishier about a spinner with a single hook on it. I, I don't know what it is. It just like looks like a fish catching tool. It's worth it's worth making that 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 swap, man. You'd be surprised at how well they work. So I know I know, you know, I get. Are you doing this full-time, Evan? Like, is this your full-time gig or is this a side project for you? Oh, this is definitely taking up a majority of my life, and I can't complain in that aspect, but I do some other things here and there. <laughs> that didn't fully answer the question, though. It's taking up the majority of your life, but is it the full-time gig? You yeah, know, is that what you're striving for? Yeah, it's right, definitely right my full-time gig, and uh, that, I just want to keep working towards that and grow the business. I kind of, I kind of look at what you're doing like sort of – I imagine you, you probably have a good local following now. Like, are there guys in your area who are like, I throw spin X and that's it? Sort of how, like, you see that with shad dart makers and things in other places? Yeah, I definitely have my people and I appreciate them a lot. Sure, of course. Yeah. And you make a lot of this bigger stuff, but do you also still make like the tiny stream stuff or are you just mostly focused on the salmon and steel stuff for now? Oh, anything you want to catch a fish with that has a, a hook, I could definitely make you up something for that application. <laughs> that is no problem. I make a lot of stuff to where, like I said, I love trout fishing. So I'll do a couple one eighth ounce or a one sixteenth ounce spinners, some really small presentations for some mm -hmm. small stream fishing. I do anything you guys want and uh, I do it a quality way. 
Well, it was it was sure. great to have a, an inline maker on, man. That was a nice change up. Right now, if somebody uh, if somebody wanted to be one of those folks you were making things for in the right way, uh, where would they find you? Well, on Facebook, Spinex Designs Tackle. It's pretty simple. Instagram, mm-hmm. Spinex Designs. Uh, it's without the tackle. And if you wanted to go to the website and kind of check out a few things I make, SpinXDesigns.net. That's my website and. My uh, phone number's right there on the bottom footer, so if you want to reach out, feel free. And if you're east side, there's probably some things you could buy off there that will make you the East Coast ringer, because nobody else is going to have those. They're just going to be throwing the same Swiss Wings and Panther Martins, so That's I would exactly get on That's exactly right. Some variety. You know, I feel like inline spinners in general get sort of roped into this category of being too simplistic and sort of like a small fish lure. Like I'm all about them on pocket water and small streams. But if I'm floating a big river, right, I feel like if I'm not doing something more active, like working a big jerk bait, I'm not targeting the big fish. And I and I know that's just not the case. Like inlines yeah. in general and all fisheries are very powerful. It's just like yeah. a mental thing. Yeah, man. You know, I, inline spinners are like the first things that really introduced me to the artificial game. Like it was the first thing I I remember uh, throwing consistently that wasn't a worm. And it's also the first thing that really made me evaluate my gear Um, in that if you're using like too heavy of a rod, right, you can't feel, you can't feel any of the flutter that blade. And if you're using too light of a rod, it's, it's just like kind of like a difficult thing to fish with, you know? Right. So Joe, as yes. a uh, as a spinner junkie yourself, what yes. is your perfect rod for throwing spinners? And tell me, <laughs> because I'm sure 13 makes it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be the uh, Omen from yeah, boy. Uh, 13 Fishing Trout Panfish Series. I like the five foot six inch light, which is a little bit stiffer than the ultra light. Mm. I like a short rod for throwing spinners, jigs and stuff. Longer rod. Yeah. Um, it's great for that. Another thing I'll say too, like I remember growing up, my dad would always insist on on putting a, a, a spinner on with a snap swivel, like line, mm. snap swivel, then spinner, because he's like, I don't want it to twist my line all up. Mm. And I always hated that. I'm like, you're adding too much hardware yes. to this. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It made it look like the spinner had braces. The other thing about that, man, is when you're casting out those spinners, I don't know if you ever had this. Maybe you were using more high-end spinners than I was, but I always felt like I didn't get a ton of spin on the blade. And then what I realized is I was getting plenty of spin on the blade. It was just my rod was inappropriately heavy, and so I couldn't feel like that little right. flutter on, on, the, on the way back. So again, man, that is why the right rod for your spinner is net, crucial. It is. Kind of ties into what we talked about last week with, with, uh, you know, putting versus driving, you know? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Omen 5-6. So getting back to opening day for a second, let me ask you this. Uh, (laughs) Is there anything you considered a good omen? Uh, Did you have any, you like that? (laughs) Do you, did, uh, did you have any like opening day sort of rituals when you were a kid? Um, a little bit, right? So I know a lot of people talk about like, you know, getting, getting bait and all their stuff the night before. We never did that the night before, but the, the, the trip to the tackle shop would usually be within a week of opening day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the tackle shop would be buzzing. There'd be yeah. other guys in there buying their salmon eggs. And that was always just cool. But as for opening day proper, um, you know, that was typically I'd go out, it would be me, my dad, and my grandfather, and we would, you know, get up early for the for the 8 a.m. start mm. time over in Jersey, and you'd be out there all morning. And and most opening days, at some point, we would break for lunch, and we'd go yeah. back to my grandparents' house. So, like, a weird thing that, that sticks in my head is, like, you smell like worm dirt and, and hopefully some trout, 
And then like it was always a bologna sandwich. Like we would sit at my grandparents' table and you'd yeah. tell your, my grandma what we caught and you would eat a bologna sandwich and my dad would fall asleep in a chair and like hopefully he would still be in the mood to go back out for the afternoon because I was yeah. I would always want to go somewhere <laughs> different in the afternoon. Yeah. And depending on the weather and everything, sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. But um, I remember that very fondly, man. It's one of those things that's it's yeah. kind of inconsequential. It's just like lunch at your, your grandma's, but... Um, that was our opening day, you know? Yeah. How about you, man? Any, any rituals tied to, uh, day of, or, or, or time before opening day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when I was a kid, I used to spend the night before the opener drawing all of these, you know, depth charts where I thought oh the fish God. were going to be in relation to the bottom, <laughs> which is great. basically, well, it's, it, it's what, <laughs> it's what I saw in like in fishermen, right? Um, yeah, what I didn't sure. realize at the time was that most of those illustrations were in relation to some sort of like technique, like drop shotting on an underwater hump. Uh, whereas right. my maps were much less helpful, not having an accompanying article. Uh, they were always just pictures of a hole with a big fish in the deepest part and small fish in the shallower parts. <laughs> but my dad always looked at them and, and pretended to consider them as if they were going to influence his strategy or something. So I, That's great. Dude, I hope you saved some of them. Your dad saved some of them. Oh, the, I bet you he has. I, I wish had been saved. Um, and hey, man, dude, if that, if that helped your confidence with that little bit of strategy, that's great. Speaking of strategy, how about this? Uh, I've been plotting my own strategy for defeating you uh, in this week's competition that we call Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. Hey, I just wanted to give a quick shout out uh, to the dozen or so listeners that came to my defense following <laughs> last week's uh, very bloody smooth moves. I said that I believed mother rabbits ate their young sometimes. And the response that I got from from Hayden and company here was that I was being a weirdo. But damn it, I was right. Okay, I'm not morbid or crazy. Several people wrote in. You're and both like, of no, those that's things, a man. <laughs> that's what I am. But but I am right in this case. They're like, no, this is a real thing. Look, and it's called uh, neonatal cannibalism. Um, and it can occur if a baby is sick or weak, or if the mother is stressed by fear that a sick or weak baby will heighten the likelihood of a uh, predator homing in on the whole fam. Isn't that a nice story for the kids? It Jeez. goes much deeper than that, but that is the yeah, gist, and it's deeper. a real thing. I did not make that up. So thank you, everyone. <laughs> and in a less morbid uh, shout-out, I want to give a shout-out to the uh, 12 dozen or so cops who all like wrote in like, ah! you know, you have a lot more uh, a lot more police listening than you uh than you might think. So uh I'm gonna be careful of what I say. I am I am fine with that. See, yeah. I told you the the uh the police listened to the bents and did the fishing. That's great. <laughs> uh we, we love you guys. Uh that's good. I'm really happy to hear what, that. What, anyway, what are those cards uh, called? PBA cards. I don't know if they work anymore. We should have one of these officers write in and be like I, I would love to know, Do because when I was a kid, my dad always had PBA cards, which is the Policeman's Benevolent Association, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was always like, you just slipped it under your driver's license if you got pulled over for a ticket, Yeah, and sometimes that got you off, and sometimes they just took the card and gave you the ticket anyway, um, but yeah, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. I'd love to know, uh, would, would anybody even honor that? Anymore? Yeah, and and, um, and if it is a thing, uh, <laughs> you can write into uh, bent at com. And yeah. I will give you my mailing address, and you can send me 10 of them. Yeah, there you go. That uh, that should last you a week or two. Anyway, uh, <laughs> all right. So let's get on with it. We'll, uh, we'll hit conservation minutes here real quick. Here's what I've got. A conservation group in Canada is begging 
for a rule change regarding Atlantic salmon, saying that catch and release angling needs to be banned entirely uh, in Newfoundland, particularly when the water is above 18 degrees Celsius, which is 64.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, citing a study conducted by an angling group that uh, above those temps, even with the use of um, rubber mesh nets and cotton release gloves and, and all those those things, um, once you get above those temperatures, even those things created sores and, and detrimental injuries to the fish. Now, Atlantic salmon are already at risk in much of their historic range and non-existent in other parts of their historic range. But a call for a ban on catch and release during the summer months is going to uh, be pretty hard to get by all the lodges and guides and outfitters that still rely on them to make money. So uh, interesting debate. There's some uh, air of, of uh, striper debate on the, oh, on the lower hold east on, coast hold here on, hold there. on a second man i gotta ask you the uh it says saying that catch and release angling needs to be banned entirely particularly with the water uh when the water is above 18 degrees celsius are you saying that they want to ban catch and release fishing for atlantic salmon outright or only when it exceeds these temperatures well i think this group wants them to be outright but they're saying at minimum once the water gets above that temperature, it should absolutely be be banned. Well, I like that. Um, I mean, and, I feel like that's yeah, fine. and we and we have we have similar things. We I mean, they say that about trout, right? Seventy degrees. Like if you're if you really want to like conserve trout, you don't fight them in the summertime if the water is above seventy or whatever the number is. Same thing with muskies. Okay, you know? can, we, can we do it? Can we do a short story time? I got kind of a funny story about it. Go ahead. Well, uh, when I was first like getting really seriously into fly fishing, one of my buddies on the West Branch invited me up to, uh, or or when I say really seriously, I mean like professionally seriously about it. The first time I'd ever been like included with the big dogs. And uh, we were staying on the East Branch, but fishing the West Branch. But you could go out in the daytime and, you know, do the, uh, do a little uh, wade trip on the, uh, on the East there. So he was out with a boat full of clients, and I'm just hanging around the camper, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'll go, uh, I'll go catch some fish. I, I didn't really understand why we weren't. Well, the East Branch mm-hmm. isn't a tailwater the same as the West Branch is. Nope. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't realize it, but now, again, we had been fishing there, like, the week before. So, like, these aren't – I wasn't, like, fishing in, like, 70, 80-degree water or, like, something like that. I was fishing in, right. like, 67, 68-degree water. And, uh, he comes down, sees me, goes, Hey man, we can't be fishing back there right now. We, uh, you know, is it, is it a legal thing? No, it's not. Okay. Okay. I I don't want to like out myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I was too inexperienced to know that this might be the case in this particular body of water. So anyway, he comes down and says, Hey man, we can't be fishing out there. We can't be fishing out there. Really lays into me and like, understandably so. I told him I understood we got out of the water, et cetera. And about like 10 minutes later, he kind of looks at me out of the corner of his eye. He goes, I bet you it was real good, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, dude, it's like summertime muskies, man. Like, you can catch some muskies in the summer around here, but in certain places, dude, that water's 75, 80 mm. degrees in the summer. That It's no bueno. Yeah. You know Can't what I mean? It. So, Can't do it. Yep. What do you got for Conservation Minute? All righty here. Let me pull that up. Okay, so th- speaking of muskies, uh, this week, big news in uh, West Virginia. On March 19th, angler Luke King smashed the West Virginia State muskie record with a, uh, with a hell of a fish measuring 55 inches long. Yeah, it's a big fish, giant fish. Yeah, and, uh, and weighing uh, 51 pounds. So, huge. A, 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 a 
quite the muscalunge. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, an important thing to note in this story is that the fish was put back into the water and swam away healthy. Huge props to the angler and the West Virginia DNR. Anyway, uh, I called the West Virginia DNR and spoke to Mark Scott, uh, assistant chief of fish management, who had this to say about the uh, the catch and the release. Um, he said, ultimately, it's up to the angler if they want to kill a legally caught fish to have it certified at a later date. But muskie anglers in particular are very conscious about releasing their catch, and this one was released unharmed. The angler kept it in a large net and waited for biologists. And with cold water like we have at this time of year, this was caught in March, uh, that wasn't an issue. He continues to say, and this goes to, you know, speak to the above and beyond effort that they went through in order to, you know, make sure this fish was released as healthily as possible. You can't plan yeah. to catch a state record fish, but our guys do their best to verify things on site as quickly as possible. During the week, we can always get someone out to the angler, but on the weekends, as is the case with this fish, um, it's much harder to get biologists out there. I don't like to call our biologists on a Saturday morning and say, hey, you got to get out there and verify this fish. <laughs> but with a record like this, they're normally pretty willing to go out. Um, and then he, uh, he let me know that their biologist had pit tagged the fish. So if it's caught again, they'll be able to identify it as the same fish. So uh, a little bit of conservation through catch and release angling, man. And, uh, and a little yeah, good, good, good on Luke. Yeah, I, I I know I read a little bit about it, and I know like he was hardcore about making sure that fish went back, and they got the pit tag in. So um, win win there. Yeah. All right, on to regular news. Remember, this is a competition, and we'll we're we're still gonna call it one, even though I actually do know which story <laughs> Hayden has brought to the ring this yeah. week. Uh, you'll hear more about that later. Uh, still at the end, our audio engineer Phil, not Hayden, Phil, as in <laughs> Phil Taylor, will declare a winner, uh, and it's my He's lead this week. Power. So, <laughs> yeah, I know I, it happens, um, and I think this is a really fun story. I'm kind of pumped on it, uh, and this comes to us from Mash.com, and it's about how one little change up to a product that, in the grand scheme of things, should have zero bearing on anything has made a specific cult of anglers irate. And that product, of all things, is the McDonald's drinking straw. <laughs> so before we get down to the nitty-gritty of the issue, let's talk for uh, just a minute here about Spanish mackerel. Um, if you're not familiar with them or their behavior, they are uh, relatively small fish, but very fast pelagic fish that, that show up in casting range of the beach and piers with regularity in much of the South, right? Spanish mackerel... Um, unlike some of their cousins, are, are not really oily. They have a nice, clean, white meat that I can tell you is excellent on the grill or as sashimi. Mm. Um, and when the Spanish Macs are around, they're usually very thick and aggressive. Uh, they mostly feed on small bait fish, and um, Spanish mackerel have a mean set of chompers, and that is key here. Oh, my gosh. So, well, you know, I, I haven't read this story, but as soon as you told me what item it was, I thought it was going to be something of this continue. Right. So because of those teeth, uh, anglers have to tailor their lures and presentation because if you just huck out a small jig or, you know, a little metal on your standard leader, you're going to get cut off over mm. and over again. Strong chance right now because Spanish Macs are good table fare and abundant. They've also been a favorite target of anglers like on a budget, shall we say, like you don't need fancy gear to catch them and you can you can catch a ton. The limits are high. Um, and because people don't want to use all kinds of expensive lures, there's been a lot of ingenuity involved in creating cheap but effective lures for Spanish Macs. Um, as an example, considering these fish will slash at pretty much anything that moves and looks kind of like a tiny bait fish, many guys lean on a simple piece of rubber tubing that's just a few inches long 
and that slid over uh, the end of their leader, and that leader has a treble hook crimped to the end, and the piece of tubing acts like a bite guard. But it's also just this red or orange or colorful tubing that darts and wiggles just enough um, when you reel to get bit. And you can get four or five Spanish mackerel to one lure before it's shredded, and if you lose that, no big deal. Well, guess what else works? And some anglers <laughs> believe even better than the tubing, uh, that McDonald's drinking Dude, straw. the salmon now, anglers per- are going to lose their mind when the styrofoam cups get banned. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, per the story, the, the practice of turning McDonald's straws into Spanish mackerel lures dates back to the early 80s when McDonald's was the dominant fast food chain in the country. Um, to add to the frugality of it all, anglers could get at least three lures out of one straw. And, I mean, straws are essentially free, right? Like you can walk into a McDonald's and be like, I'm get a straw, right? Um, and the article says that these straw lures originated around Pensacola, Florida, and that something about the straw made these homemade Mac lures gurgle and move differently than similar tubing lures. The story even says, and this is what I think is so cool, that the straw lures allegedly outfished other lures five to one. Now, so great, right? A lure made out of a straw catches fish. What's the big deal? But this story, and some of the anglers quoted in it, swear that no straw compares to the classic McDonald's white straw with the red and yellow stripe that we all remember from our earlier days. Um, It had to be that particular straw or it didn't work which is why many in the Spanish mackerel game were pretty pissed when Mickey D's ousted the iconic straw in favor of yellow and brown ones. And, of course, these days everybody's doing paper straws because straws are no good. Um, And here's a quote from the story. uh, It says, Whether or not McDonald's sympathized with the fisherman's plight, the chain didn't change the straw color back and instead suggested the Big Mac as an alternative to the straw. Um, so, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, and, and I love this, if, if you're sitting on a pile of retro McDonald's straws, you can totally hock them for good coin on the Pensacola Craigslist page. But it's the precision that resonates with me. It's like, it can't be an Arby's straw. Yeah. can't be a Wendy's straw. Mm. can't be a, a Dairy Queen oh, straw. Like, it has to be the McDonald's has straw. To be. Which I would, I would love to know more about that. Like, why? Like, what is it that the Spanish mackerel is seeing in that color combo that was... Um, so good. Yeah, I but, don't know, man. I, you know. I mean, like, but that's like the classic thing about, like, I don't know, kind of any like cult angler uh, phenomenon, right? Like, the one thing that I think of immediately is like the Wonder Bread spoon, right? Like yeah. that that pattern for like whatever reason, just uh, the fish like it universally. Um, I, I I don't think that it, as much as we'd like to think that we we can plan out exactly what fish want to eat. And come up with these like patterns that are just going to crush them. Um, ultimately, the fish are fickle and don't really seem to have any logical sort of preferences, man. It, it just happens well, that y- way. No, you're right. I guarantee if I made you that same lure and took it up to a trout stream, I'd get a trout to eat that straw too. Um, yeah. And then I've also, you ever see those things where the, those like Chinese or Japanese dudes take a drinking straw and like origami it and they end up with like the most realistic looking brine shrimp? you've ever seen and then no. they use that to catch stuff off the rock no but that's amazing it's pretty impressive that's been floating around for a while but i'm like damn that looks like too much yeah. work well the well the, the thing that it reminds me of the most man is uh you know people flossing salmon using styrofoam uh like pieces of a styrofoam coffee cup you ever hear about that 
Yeah. They'll be like, <laughs> yeah. But I do. I remember that I, I've alluded to him in the past, but the guy who taught me about fly fishing, that bus driver that I had, man, I, I was like, what do you use for like your salmon flies? You know, because I was, I was just fascinated upon hearing that you could catch salmon on the East Coast. And I'm thinking like green butt skunk, you know, uh, right. like just like classic patterns like that. He's like, well, we don't use any of those. The best thing that we use is a styrofoam cup. It's like what? Yeah, but in, like a styrofoam in fairness, the difference cup. though is flossing is flossing. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't I have, have to trick anything. Well, I know that you know? now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, now I'm like, oh yeah, Tony. I bet you they just couldn't help but eat that styrofoam cup, man. Please enter your password. You have one unheard message. Hey, hey, Mitch Hunter uh, from Graphics. Um, I'm trying as hard as I can with this photo that you sent me to tweak it for Instagram. Um, I can't make this fish look any bigger. There's nothing wrong with a small fish. You know, just talk about how pretty the colors are, or caption, or something like that. But anyway, just wanted to let you know, man. Uh, take care, buddy. Bye. End of message. Delete. Press 7. Save. Deleted. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Okay, so uh, Joe, 
we both know what I picked. I know. I do know what you picked <laughs> because you saw it in the inbox and called dibs. And dibs means something to me. Does it? No matter how old you are, dibs is dibs. You call dibs, you got it. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, I learned in college that dibs was nothing but something uh, your loser buddies did. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the really messed up part of this is that it was your buddy Jim Fee who covered it. Man, he could he, he could have let you known. Uh, he could have let you know before it came out, but uh, old Jim Fee did you dirty, man. Yeah, Jim's too busy catching monster largemouth on herring plugs right now to to let me know about what stories are coming mm. out. I'll give him a pass. Yeah, okay, I'll see him. I'll see him in a few weeks. I'll give him a. Yeah, that's very charitable, to. you Joe. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, thank you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> Joe, do you want to uh, do you want to tell our listeners the title of the news story, or should I? No, man, this it's is so good. Yours. I feel like I should at least give you the chance to be part of it, you know? No, you own it now, but we, okay. we did. We, a lot of people forwarded this one along. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the story comes from friend of Bent, Jimmy Fee, via onthewater.com. And this little chestnut is titled Possum Eating Striper Poacher Busted in New York, which is now forever my favorite headline. And dude, I don't know, like, if I had to go to the pantheon of bent news stories, it's this or the prostitutes on ice. Really? See, because here's the thing. I mean, I, this is a this is a good. I did we, like we pipe have bomb. to do this story. I did like the pipe because bomb on the funny. Madison. It's 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 we we couldn't not hit this yeah. story here. But I will say this, like to most people, the idea of a, a poacher that's eating a possum is pretty weird. But this is meat eater. Like, don't we have a new eating possum series coming out or something? Like, isn't this just the kind of thing that that you do around here? Is it really that weird? Yeah. You know? uh, Spencer's actually going to eat a possum stuffed in a uh, in a snake in yeah, a in he's a, like in at a the possum a, taco in, truck in, right in, now. In a like, he goes there every day haggis. on lunch break. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So. <laughs> Meat-eater proclivities aside, uh, here's what happened. Over the course of two days, using night vision goggles, some uh, conservation officers monitored a group of people catching a bunch of stripers out of season on the Hudson River in New York. When the o- Which I have to say is like ground zero for this shit. Yeah. Like, mo- there are more busts on the Hudson River, I swear, than anywhere else. Right. Anyway, when the, when the officers approached the poachers and maneuver I'd like to dub the poach approach, the, uh, <laughs> the poachers were all like, we don't have any stripers. And the officers were like, we have night vision goggles. We've, we've been watching you. You definitely have stripers. And boy, did they have stripers. 56 stripers. Uh, in a Dr. Seuss-esque approach to hiding stripers, they hid them in a bag and under rocks, in some roots, and under boots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it listed where they... Uh, the, the boots wasn't in there. That was just for the rhyme scheme. But it did list, like, they were hiding them in root balls, they were hiding them under rocks, they were hiding them in bags, they were hiding them in all, all sorts of these spots. Anyhow, uh, stripers... Are not all that these officers found. Oh, no. Per the headline, in a turn of events that brings me the maximum amount of joy any game offense possibly could, uh, they found that one of the poachers was cooking up a possum, which he had also poached in the parking lot in New York. Uh, Do we know that's illegal? I'm just saying. Like, I don't, What are the possum rules? We're, uh, we're certain of I that? think they're out of season on the 15th of Feb. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, and I have to say, like, I wonder if it was like Francis Malman, uh, who was the poacher apprehended here, because the possum appears to be beautifully cooked over what's known in culinary parlance as uh, live fire, that being a grill grate 
over uh, over coals. Like the thing is golden brown and like it genuinely looks tasty. If I didn't uh-huh. know it was a possum, much less a possum shot in New York on the Hudson, I would have eaten it. Um, anyway, uh, not a lot of meat. But you wouldn't now? No. You wouldn't now? No. no. Uh, anyway, not a lot of meat on the bone there, so to speak. But come on. You had to. Oh, we, we absolutely had to. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, how do, you, how do you leave that one alone? Because it is a terrific headline. But, um, I mean, the stripers is bad enough. I don't know. The pot the, just. I would try possum if it was like a country possum. If somebody <laughs> yeah. was like, I, I shot this. Oh, it was a problem on my. It was a problem on my farm. Well, I mean, it's what it's what like <laughs> it's what separates. That's like squat. a super rat. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like <laughs> you're already worried rat. about what the rats are into. What is that thing eating in that location? Uh, and I also they are just the creepiest animals. Yeah. I've dealt with some on my property, and they are just the creepiest animals. Yeah, it's what um, you know. It's kind of what separates squab from like street pigeon. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, sure, exactly. But it, it also makes me wonder. It's like if 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 y'all are that hungry, you need to kill uh, fifty six stripers. You probably would have gotten the. Well, you probably would have gotten away with more. Just like round up the possums, then, man. If that's what you want to eat, like you could get away with that easier. Most people, like, would, yeah, would give less of a shit about that. I feel like. I mean, to be honest with you, man, I've never really thought about this, but if you have fifty six stripers on hand, why are you eating a possum? Why not just throw uh, one of the uh, the stripers on the grill there? Yeah, that's that sounds somebody. Somebody just forgot the uh, Tony Satchery seasoning. That's why. You Dude. know, they only had, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't know the if possum you know. possum bases itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing with, the thing with like, a possum, well, let's talk about bears real quick, man. When, when you shoot a bear and you want to eat that bear, a lot of times how that bear will taste is very dependent on what they're eating. For instance, if you shoot a black bear in the fall that has been eating all sorts of huckleberries, that is probably going to be a very tasty bear. If you shoot a spring bear in southeast Alaska that's been feeding on, like, rotting salmon carcasses, well, I guess not in spring, but, okay, in autumn, if you shoot a a black bear in Alaska that's been, like, eating rotting salmon carcasses, that is not going to be a delicious bear. I would Mm -hmm. have to imagine that a possum, which presumably eats a bunch of trash... Yeah, feces of homeless people, things like that. Jeez, Joe. What? Be decent. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an opportunistic feeder. That is. In a city environment. Bro, that is foul. Anyway, okay. Uh, moving on. Um, a mackerel eating straws or poachers eating possums. Uh, we're going to hear from Phil, and then we're going to hear <laughs> from Joe. Just got out of it. Just got right out of it there. <laughs> And we're going to hear from, uh, then we're going to hear from Joe, who's going to tell us what the hell Cremite is on the end of his line. But I will say, what it's going to catch oh you is probably more delicious than possum and stripers. We're back to stock trout. The winner this week is Joe Cermelli. <laughs> Joe, your story got me thinking about what we would all be attracted to if we were fish. I was thinking Hayden would be attracted to a uh, dime bag in an off-brand Ziploc. Joe, you would probably go for one of those bargain bin DVDs that has like five full screen movies on one disc, but it would all be like 80s comedies that no one's thought of in about 38 years. And I would probably just go for a McDonald's straw. Fishy, 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 fishy! 
Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. These days, there is no shortage of conventional lures that imitate terrestrial and aquatic insects. Now, I'm not talking about flies here. I'm talking about things meant to be cast on your trusty spinning rod. And for the most part, this is all thanks to major advances in the soft plastics realm. From fake maggots to rubber crickets to stretchy dragonflies, modern soft plastics have given us the ability to cast fish food imitations that we couldn't just 10 or 20 years ago. Now, it's not that fake bugs haven't existed for a long time, because they have, but if you compare, say, a rubber frog or even a worm from the 70s or 80s to those we have now, you can't deny that they just have more life. They're not stiff and rigid things molded around a hook. But while so many companies tried to push less-than-perfect rubber imitations for so many years, one company went all in on the buggy hardbait. And I'm talking about Rebel. We've discussed the Rebel Crick Hopper in this segment before, and I've been fighting Instagram wars ever since because I said I don't really like the Rebel Crick Hopper. It's not that I've never caught fish on these tiny popping and diving grasshopper cricket hybrid lures. It's just that it's never become a go-to for me. I've never found a scenario where, where that was the ringer above all else. But the Crick Hopper isn't the only foray Rebel has ever taken into hard body bugs. And while I may not reach for that Crick Hopper very often, I will reach for their Helgramite crankbait. Despite my best research efforts, I don't know exactly when the Rebel Helgramite hit shelves, but I know it's existed since at least the mid-90s because I had them as a kid. For those unfamiliar... The Rebel Helgramite is exactly what it sounds like, a tiny, hard plastic Helgramite with little rubber legs and a tiny diving lip. They are available in one size and one size only, that being one and three quarter inches. They weigh a mere three thirty seconds of an ounce, which means they are meant to be fished on ultralight tackle, say two or four pound test. I bought my first Rebel Helgramite after an observation that is forever burned into my brain. I was 12 or 13 and just had a successful day catching early May stock trout on my usual offerings of panther martins and mealworms. One of those trout was a nice 17-inch rainbow, and when I gutted it in the river before heading home, something looked odd about its stomach, so I slid it open and out popped a giant helgramite. Now, at the time, I had no idea what the hell it was. I just knew it was weird and ugly and scared me a little. When I brought this up to the fellows at the local tackle joint, they of course knew right away, explaining that live ones aren't easy to get, but they are some of the most potent baits you can use in fresh water, especially for trout and smallmouths. Meantime, they said, maybe try this here Rebel Helgramite. I did try it, and I didn't catch shit. And that's because I was casting and reeling it like a regular crankbait. But that's not how the Rebel Helgramite is designed to work. I actually learned this from something I read not long after in In Fisherman. These lures sink slowly, and the idea is to reel just fast enough to get the little mite ticking and banging over the rocks on the bottom. Truthfully, the lure doesn't have a ton of action, but it doesn't need it. It just needs to look like a Helgramite moving from one little hiding spot to another. Armed with this information, I lost about 10 Rebel Helgramites in the next two seasons diligently banging them off the rocks and praying they didn't get stuck. I had about given up on the lure until I had a real eye-opener. It was maybe two seasons after I caught that trout with the Helgramite in its gut, 
that I stuck an 18-inch brown in a hole that had just been bombarded by other anglers. When I showed up at the river, there were four guys pummeling it, so I walked way downstream, and on the way back, they were gone. This was one of those deep, dark, mysterious bridge holes, so I figured I'd send something out that the pile of trout likely in it hadn't seen, and I braced myself for a snag, like I often did with the rebel Helgramite, but on the second retrieve, that tiny mite came to a dead stop, and when I swung, this time it wasn't a rock. I've caught a bunch of trout on the Rebel Helgramite since, but I've learned that, for me at least, it's a tool with a specific application. As a replacement for spinners or small jerk baits, I don't really see the magic, but in those deep, slow holes, it has pulled a rabbit out of the hat for me on numerous occasions. Is it really that stock trout key in on Helgramites with more ferocity? I don't know. Or is it just a very different presentation from 99% of what these fish see? I'm not exactly sure, but to this day, it's rare for me to leave a good hole without bouncing that lure through at least three or four times, still hoping I don't lose it. Now, as for the Rebel Bumblebee crankbait, I still haven't figured that one out. It does even less for me than the Crickhopper, but I'll stand by and let the Bumblebee fanatics tear me up in the bent inbox. So there you go. You now have a new lure that doesn't fall in the uh, traditional opening day categories to uh, throw for those pellet heads. I highly recommend it. Yeah, well, the uh, the the Rebel Helgramite is definitely something I need to get in my arsenal as I uh, as I broaden my conventional fishing horizons. But seeing that I'm both from PA and love to fly fish, we, we, we cannot have a more fitting question for the Bent Helpline uh, this week to round out our opening day themed episode. What are you laughing at, Martini? You're not an idiot, huh? You're not a damn loony now, boy. You're a fisherman. <laughs> What's your emergency? So today on the Bent Helpline, Archery Kid 1993 asks, very succinctly, uh, top ten trout flies for Pennsylvania. And oh. I, and I put an asterisk uh, next to this, and I said, uh, let's just have a conversation about our top 10 trout flies in general. Because, uh, you know, aside from, like, if you're fishing, like, you know, if you try and bring your Hendrickson's out here, um, like, Hendrickson's don't really exist. So, like, that's, like, kind of one of the few, um, I guess, times where you can look at something and be, like, maybe not maybe not applicable everywhere but for the most part I, I i think flies are generally you know if if a fly works here it'll probably work over there every body of water every like region has like little nuances but in general if we're talking about trout flies across the board these 10 that joe and i are about to give you will work everywhere and they'll work well okay well my five are mop fly mop fly mop fly <laughs> Mop fly, San Juan. Bugger. Bugger. <laughs> <laughs> At least for PA, uh, you yeah. know, you can if you want to scratch the woolly bugger and just get a salmon egg, say, uh, that works too. So, no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Okay, um, well. <laughs> I do agree with what you said, uh, barring barring a few caveats. Like there, there are some things that I think are critical out west that salmon that, flies and shit. Yeah. Well, not, I was, I wasn't even well, going to that specific because I was going to say, like, I was going to say stimmies. I was going to say stimulators. Right. Like that is to me, you don't fish out west without some stimulators. Whereas that idea of just throwing something big and honking out there in the east and you're going to get a fish to come up and eat it. Out there in the west. It, 
No, I'm saying out here in the east. Oh, right? oh, oh, oh so, I thought you said out so, there in the. No, 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 no. What I'm what I'm saying is like you can go out west in the middle of the summer, and, and regardless of of the hatches, a lot of times, right? If you present a stimmy, a big, and these are these are big dry flies that represent a million things, right? They can be a stonefly, salmon, a grasshopper, a, a grasshopper. It's just a like a general imitation. Um, good chance you get a cutty or something to come up and, and sip that. Whereas out here on the east coast, I think. Um, yeah, good luck. It's not that it's not that easy to do that. They're, 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 you're, you're more inclined to catch dry fly fish on a specific hatch than just kind of blinding uh, a, a stimulator around. But beyond a few things like that, um, man, I firmly believe. I'm trying to think what my, my five, dude. I I believe like if you have an Adams in a million different sizes, you have just covered pretty much every hatch on the planet everywhere, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that, and that's not entirely true, but it kind of sure. is too. Yeah, especially yeah. in low light in the evening. Okay, right. Um, hair's ear, nymph. Uh, Prince God, I nymph. hate a hair's ear. Hair's ears. Are, I like a hair's ear. Oh, I don't know uh, why. Just, Adams hair's flies, ear, man. Prince nymph, woolly bugger, <clears throat> and uh, zonker. Man, I mean, you can catch. If I had to chop one. Elk hair caddis, right? I think that's like if you got elk hairs and you got Adams, man, you are covered for a lot of stuff. As long as you uh -huh. have them in a bunch of different sizes, that's the thing with flies. Most of the time, if you're getting refused, it's the size, it's the, not the color. It's the size, yeah. not the color. Exactly. Less so I, with nymphs. I go, I go size, profile, color. Those mm -hmm. are like my order of like operations if I'm trying to narrow something down. Right. Um. So my my top five are pheasant tail pheasant tail mm -hmm. pheasant tail pheasant tail <laughs> mop fly <laughs> no uh, mop fly yeah it is no uh they're pheasant tail griffith's gnat uh Ugh. i love them man Ugh. it's a oh, dude but i mean i, I just, just hate fishing like them i love them i hate fishing them I, we'll, we'll uh, get on to that but uh, uh comparadon a bunny mm -hmm. leech and a rusty spinner those yeah. are my those are my top five i, yeah. I think for trout Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And I also think, you know, it's funny because we're joking about mop flies and shit, but w without knowing like his MO, because if he's fishing like Pine Creek during high stalker season, uh, the list we gave you is pretty much worthless, in which case like mop fly, San Juan, salmon egg, but like that's a very valid list too. So yeah. w without knowing if we're talking about wild fish or oh, we stalkers. should have done, <laughs> done stalker native. And then the stalker one, oh, the dude, caveat I'll, how here, close here, to here, opening here. day we are. Pellet, I'll tell pellet, you exactly. I'll tell you. I have a story tied to that. Years ago, I covered, uh, um, I hosted uh, something for Field and Stream that was on TV called the Total Outdoorsman Challenge. And there was a fly fishing <laughs> part. And I was like yeah. the commentator. Oh my and uh, I need to look this down, up. <laughs> down in Dogwood Canyon um, in, in Missouri. And you have all these, like, you know, these these dudes that think they're all hardcore. And I'm, like, going to each of them, I'm like, what pattern are you throwing on this beat? And they're like, uh, dead egg. I'm like, what's a dead egg? And it was a salmon fly that was just light brown. brown. But they couldn't, they just could not bring themselves to say pellet. Pellet fly. So it's like, well, you know, like, when the eggs rot a little bit and get discolored in the water, like, a dead yeah. egg. I'm like, get out of here with that shit. A dead egg. <laughs> Kidding me? It's a pellet fly. Yeah. Pellet fly, man. I, I remember when I was like, uh, when I was a kid, um, it was on a, uh, a a creek out by your neck of the woods, man. And there was this older guy, and he was just watching me struggle and watching me struggle and watching me struggle. And he goes, "You want to catch some fish?" I'm like, "Uh huh, yeah, definitely <laughs> I do." 
He goes, okay, here, tie this on. And I'm tying on this fly and he's kind of like moving over by like the bank and he's like kind of like reaching into the stuff and kind of wondering what the hell he's doing. And uh, he goes, you ready? I was like, well, yeah. And he, he had a handful of like gravel, like really tiny gravel, like oh, just bigger yeah. than sand. Oh, this trick in the book, dude. Yeah. Throws it out there. All of a sudden, he goes, cast. <laughs> cast. Yeah. And the trout came right up. And Dinner bell. He thought he, was, yeah, he thought he was throwing a bunch of pellets in. Yep. Um, anyway, here, let, let, let's talk just like seriously about like these flies for a second. We probably uh, should. We probably Yeah, I just want to go yeah. through my list real quick. <laughs> I want to actually help the fella. Uh, pheasant tails are great, man. Um, you know, I'm doing a, uh, in, in the near, I don't know if it's going to be at the time that this comes out or before or after it, but I'm doing a end of the line on, uh, on pheasant tail nymphs because they are my absolute favorites. Very rarely will you see me nymph fishing and that not be the first thing that I tie on. I just think it's like one of the best imitations that there ever was. I, I like a, a variety with like a CDC hackle. It's just a great buggy all-purpose nymph and it just works very well. Uh, Griffith snap. That's because I don't like tying midges. And if you don't know, a Griffith snap is just a, it's supposed to imitate, you know, a, a midge like mating cluster. cluster. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cluster. Yeah. And all, all it is, it's really easy to tie and you can, and you can tie them on all sorts of like sizes. I, I typically have them in my box from about a 16 or an 18 all the way down to like, I have, I've tied 26s before. Yeah, they get into like negative number. It doesn't actually exist. It's like a negative number. You yeah. just assume it's <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all it is is just peacock hurl wrapped around uh, a hook, and then you hackle the entire length of the hook with a a, a grizzle hackle. Yeah. Um, and that's what I do pretty much all my midge fishing with because it works well. I can tie a million of them real quick. And, you know, when you're fishing like a fly that small, you're liable to break off them yeah. more often so like it saves me from just like being forever frustrated at the vice and like lamenting that i just lost a 24 atoms on my back cast I'll, I'll throw one more extra player out there i'm gonna throw a nomination yeah. down for the freaking zug bug why does nobody Zugbug. talk about the zug bug anymore? you know what it ju- it the just zug looks- bug is the spinner bait of the damn fly world and i catch the shit out of trout or used to at least on I, zug bugs i i think it's because it just like to me, it, it catches reeks. too many trout. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah. It's unfair. No, it, it, it like reeks of like the old guard, right? It like reeks of like a, a fly made on a chalk stream in like, you know, I, I, I'm sure that that is not where that comes from. Well, I was going to say, man, you got to watch what you say there because I've, I've edited some pieces and interviewed some folks who swear up and down that if, you, if, you, if, if people today would just get their head around old guard wet fly fishing, not nymphing, oh, dude. wet fly fishing, you yep. will smoke everybody on the river every single time, hatch, no hatch. Like you, but yeah, that's, that's one of the first guard. days. One of the first days that I ever did truly great fly fishing was doing just that, was swinging a, uh, a partridge soft hackle. Yep. And nobody does it. And I, like, yeah. I've heard, I've heard the hype for years. Have I have I gotten myself a, a set of partridge soft hackles? I have not, but nope. you know, there's something to be said about old school. Yeah, moving on like a comparadon, man. I think that works really well. I like how it sits so low in the water. It has like the right profile. They're easy to tie. You can bang out a bunch of them real real quick. And uh, I, I've always had good luck on those, particularly when I've been like dealing with kind of selective fish for whatever uh, reason. Are you- 
are you going to break down every single one of your picks like this? Because I was just going to tell, dude, everything I said is in the Walmart starter kit. Just go and purchase that. They're all in there. The Adams, <laughs> the Elk Hair, the Prince Nymph. $6.99, Bunny Leech is dude. a good Bunny Leech is a good easy streamer, and uh, Rusty Spinners <laughs> if you want to get frustrated at about 8.30 at night. <laughs> yeah, and then tie on a mouse and uh, catch a real one. Boom. Yep. Anyway. Um, I, dude, I know that's kind of all over the place, but, but you actually think you're asking like a very simple question and it's, it's not really that easy to, to, to sum up. Um, I'm joking about Walmart, but not too. like truly um, a lot of the things I brought up are in your classic, like trout starter fly set. That's true. Um, that's true. and they're there for a reason. That's the stuff when I first started fly fishing, that's what I bought the woolly bugger pack. And, uh, I caught plenty of fish on it. So, uh, don't overthink it too much, and and I would say don't get lost in you know. There's all Rainbow Warrior and the guns. Oh, Somebody God. just hit me up about a gunslinger and all that. Go nah, just, go down that go down that hole later, snap, man. Man, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, hope that helped you uh, a little bit. If we if we miss something for PA or elsewhere, if you guys are like. How could you not mention the insert fly name here? Uh, let us know. And if you've got more questions that we can answer, please keep sending those to bent at com. So that's it for this week. If you live squarely in the land of wild trout, sorry you had to suffer through that, but we're trying to teach you about a different culture here. Okay, man, stalkers count. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Archery Kid 1993, if uh, 1993 is a reference to your birthday, you're almost 30. You're, you're, you're archery <laughs> adult now. Anyway, keep using the Degenerate Angler and uh, Bent Podcast hashtags. We really do love seeing what you guys are up to. Uh, maybe an opening day Stocky Sleigh Fest? Yeah, that would be good. And hey, uh, if you're a PA resident going to hit the opener tomorrow, remember, wearing studded boots makes it easier to kick children out of your favorite spot. Pellet flies... <laughs> are the easiest to tie. And to quote John Gerak, there are only two types of people on the river, the folks you're fishing with and the assholes. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.